Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. number 29 of Tell Me Your Tales. This week's conversation is with Dr. Karina Fife. Karina is, um, obviously she's a doctor, and she's also a pretty handy middle, long distance runner. Um, based in Melbourne at the moment, a Tasmania girl for a while growing up, and um, yeah, she's making her debut at the Gold Coast Marathon this weekend. So if you've tuned in before Gold Coast Marathon, which I hope you uh, have, because it's three days away and it's a bit of content in this is about how she's prepared and how she's hoping to go at the Gold Coast Marathon. I um, yeah, I hope you're here before the race because it, oh, it could be good listening to it after the race knowing her result, but it was pretty exciting talking to her about the race, talking to her about the medical world, how hard they work as a doctor. Um, yeah, an awesome conversation. I was actually feeling a bit flat today kind of it's my day off work and I've just been not moping around the house but um yeah just probably not that motivated and looking forward to getting up to the Gold Coast this weekend and after this conversation with Karina today I'm just kind of buzzing it was really good to talk to her she's got really good energy and I hope you like it as much as I do if you get an opportunity leaving a review on the iTunes store would be amazing. There were some awesome reviews left the last uh, couple of weeks and some really heartfelt ones that I was kind of really blown away to receive. So thanks to those people that take the two or three minutes to log on to iTunes. You have to do it from a desktop computer and get on there and um, leave a review. Feel free to reach out to me on the email at bradytrailfoot@gmail.com. All the information is over at my website. Please really enjoy this conversation with Dr. Karina Fife. If you get an opportunity, reach out to her, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever she is, and um, send her a good luck message and tell her you heard her on Tell Me Your Tales. It's really good to be able to build a bit of a community around the uh, guests we have on the show. Thanks, guys. Enjoy this chat with Karina Fife. Like... 
Okay, Karina Fife, welcome to Tell Me Your Tales podcast. Thanks, Brady. I'm very excited and honoured, I suppose, to be here. Oh, honoured. I don't know about honoured. I'm pretty honoured to have you on. There's um, doing some research on you. There's so much stuff we could talk about for the next hour. But I guess I want to start with um, with how was Hawaii, fresh off the plane? Uh, it was actually incredible. Um, probably not the best prep for the marathon, but it, yeah, still once in a lifetime trip so I'm pretty pretty happy I got to go and do that yeah what I usually do is I usually get the people who are on the show to introduce themselves so do you want to give us a bit of a introduction and a bit of background on yourself uh yeah sure so I'm Karina Fife uh, I'm a junior doctor and distance runner living in Melbourne um I grew up in Tassie been in Melbourne now for about 10 years um yeah and I'm doing my first marathon on Sunday at Gold Coast. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, junior doctor, can you maybe talk us through that? Does that mean you've obviously finished the uni, but you have to maybe do a couple of years to, to then be a full qualified doctor? Is that how it works? Uh, yeah, so I just say junior doctor because I haven't specialised in anything yet. So I'm just still sort of going through those first few years after graduating. Um, technically, I am a fully qualified doctor. But yeah, I haven't specialised as anything. Um, so I'm third year out at the moment from uni. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. So when you fill out forms, do you put doctor on the form? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, yep. how good <laughs> is that? Sometimes I'm chicken out. Chicken out. <laughs> a little not, bit nerve-wracking on planes. <laughs> uh, not that you haven't been at uni for long enough. I reckon you've qualified to put doctor on the form after all that um, hard uni study. Uh, yes. <laughs> so do you want to maybe yeah. um, go, let's go through the doctor journey first off then. So obviously, yeah, finished year 12 and then straight into med school. How did that work? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, I um, did grade 12. At the time, I was um, very much thinking about taking on a sports scholarship to the States, but in the end, good sense prevailed and I came across to <laughs> Monash Uni to do medicine. Um, I took a pretty long course through my medical degree. I did um, sort of my four years of normal medical training and then I did um, three and a half years doing a PhD as well. So all up it took me eight years. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's been great. And, I've, yeah, so I've now been working for a few years and this year I actually took six months off just to do a bit of sort of locum work here and there and I'm going back to full-time work on Monday. <laughs> After the marathon. <laughs> straight after the marathon. Run your first ever marathon and then straight back to work as a as a doctor in a high-pressure job. Yeah, it's not ideal timing, but, you know, you can't have everything. <laughs> hey, I want to still unpack that university a bit more because I'm a primary school teacher and we went to uni for about six hours a week, so it was pretty chilled out. We could um, <laughs> almost work full-time while we are at uni and training was really good. But do you want to maybe go through some of the... I don't know, I guess the contact hours you had to be at uni and the placements and where you had to do those over Australia and things like that? Yeah, sure. So the first couple of years of medical of the medical degree are um, fully at uni, so there's no placement. Um, and during that time, it's, I think it's about 32 contact hours a week, so it's getting up there around sort of full-time hours. Um, from third year onwards, you're in hospitals, and that's essentially full-time placement mm -hmm. um and that can be pretty full-on depending on what rotation you're doing and can, yeah usually sort of various hospitals across the state not usually too far further than that um, and I did all of my training at Monash Medical Center um down in Melbourne so that was quite good 
Um, the uh, at that time, sort of, I I wasn't doing all that much running for the first few years of uni. I sort of did lots and lots of running as a junior, um, and kind of burnt out a little bit, I suppose. And I'd taken a few years off competing, um, and I was really just like just exercising for the sake of exercising. I wasn't training for running at at that time. Um, and probably from about third year onwards, I started to get slowly back into running. Um, but I really found, so when I went into the PhD, which again is full-time hours, like it's quite, um, obviously a PhD is reasonably a lot of work. So that's, yeah, quite, kept me quite busy, but I found that the consistency actually really suited me and sort of keeping regular hours and I was on my feet all day and I was um, sitting at a desk and I found that much, much better for training. And it was sort of through those years that my running kind of started to blossom a bit more again, which is really nice <laughs> yeah yeah hey a few things i want to touch on there maybe um what do you reckon led to that burnout um <clears throat> i suppose so i have competed i ran all the way through school so i was um did track mostly uh so like really it was doing nationals every year from grade seven through to grade 12 um and i think i just that in combination with working really hard at school, trying to get good grades, obviously, to get into medicine, I just found grade 12, I was just really kind of over it by the end of the year. Um, and I, yeah, sort of didn't run, I think I maybe ran nationals at the end of grade 12. And then I was like, I'm going to take a break. I'm not going to compete. Um, and then, yeah, so, and at the same time, obviously, I moved to Melbourne from Tassie. And so I left my training group behind and, and never really reconnected with a training group here. So I think, yeah, it was a combination of things, but just it was all a bit much after a long yeah. time of competing. Pretty, it, it's pretty, pretty big hard. though, isn't it? Like if you think probably studying pretty hard from year 10 onwards and then seven years of uh, university in a pretty um, pretty full-on uh, study kind of situation, like even that in itself is hard not to burn out just from the study, let alone putting the running on top of it as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think. If I was just doing one or the other, I would have been fine. I think just the two of them together was just a bit much. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that decision not to take out the scholarship in the States, do you want to talk me through that? Uh, yeah. Um, that was really like uh, that was really because um, I couldn't study medicine if I had done that. Um, I would have had to do a base, some other degree over there and then try to get into medicine postgraduate back in Australia afterwards and it just in the end I just decided that was all just too too much and really it was much more sensible to to follow a career path than running yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I suppose yeah been lots of times that I've quite regretted not taking that opportunity up because I see lots of other people that have done really really well from their time in the states on those sort of scholarships but you know you can't yeah there's to, a lot of people that haven't <laughs> done well as well though isn't there yeah, that's true, exactly, yeah. Or there's so a lot of have gone over there and rat okay and maybe made the grade but then come back to no university degree that's transferable and, um, yeah, yeah, almost 30 yeah. and they're wondering what they're going to do with their life, whereas you've kind of set yourself yeah. up as a doctor. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So it probably was the right decision. <laughs> were, they, um, were they pretty supportive in the way they approached you? Like were they offering the kind of full scholarship and accommodation and do you want to maybe talk us through that? Um, yeah, they were. I mean, this is a long, this is 10 years ago now, so I don't have <laughs> excellent memories. Um, but yeah, as, as what I can recall, yeah, it was full scholarships and yeah, it was all very, I felt 
very much like it would have been a good opportunity. Um, yeah, I can't remember exactly the details and can't remember the exact universities that approached us and that sort of thing. But It was pretty yeah. um, pretty easy cut decision though or did you kind of think about it for a few weeks? No, definitely thought about it um, for a while. Um, but in the end, yeah, it was sticking at home and doing the sensible degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, um, obviously if uh, colleges over in the United States are approaching you to, to run for them and study over there, you must have been a pretty handy junior. So where did it all start out for you running-wise? Uh, well, really it all started. I did a little athletics um, from when I was a toddler because I have older sisters that were running. Yeah, and you were on a <laughs> so, farm, yeah, is that right? Sorry? Were you on a farm as well, grew up on a farm? Yeah, we grew up on a farm. It was only a sort of a hobby farm. We had um, 150 acres. Like both my parents worked other jobs, but we sort of had had some cattle and land and horses at home. So yeah, we had a pretty pretty fun upbringing. Um, but yeah, so then yeah, did little athletics as a obviously a wee tacker um, and always loved it and sort of did the under 13 state team as my first um, like n- national competition. Um, and then, yeah, every year after that was sort of running nationals. Sort of, I started out really a bit shorter. I was doing 400 though when I was in my very first nationals as a sort of under 14 year old. I got bronze in the 400 meters, so I was pretty excited by that. At the Australian but Championships. Now, at the Australian Championships. No, I didn't realize. I knew you were, yeah, track background, but I didn't realize you'd got a medal because that's a pretty competitive age group as well, like under 14 girls. You're kind of going against some, yeah. Um, yeah, pretty competitive kids all over the all over the country. Yeah, yeah. What time but, did yeah, you run? Can you remember? Oh, I think it was fifty-seven something. <laughs> yeah, right. Fifty-seven for a thirteen-year-old. Yeah, I don't think I ever got any faster than that. <laughs> well, there's no no shame in a fifty-seven. We were talking about this on the other podcast I run, where we talk with the boys about training sessions, and um, yeah, we were saying how quick sixty-one was the other day, so. 57s are quite moving. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, as I say, never got any faster than that and started to get sort of slowly longer and longer. So mostly through my junior years, I was mainly 800 and 1500. um, And then sort of towards the end, I I discovered the 3,000 metres. Yeah, and then then after taking a break, it was obviously got much longer. <laughs> yeah. Were your parents pretty supportive, obviously, getting to, um, especially down in Tassie, like getting to races on the mainland and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I feel I was very, very lucky. I never sort of had to miss out on any opportunities, anything that I was selected for I got to attend. Um, yeah, so my parents were definitely very, very supportive. Yeah. So got me on to training. <laughs> and um, won the Pacific School Games. 3k 948 when you're under 18 that correct yeah that's correct yeah yeah that was my second 3000 meters (laughs) second one and you went 948 yeah it's pretty good going isn't it again that's pretty close to my current pb so i really haven't improved very much (laughs) (laughs) no but you've stepped up in distance you got rid of the fast twitch fibers and now you're now you're um tackling the longer stuff yeah, that's right. Did yeah. you want to maybe just go through your personal bests? I've got them written down here on a piece of paper, but um, just to give the listeners a bit of context about how fast you are over a variety of distances. Uh, yes, I might stretch my memory, the shorter ones. Um, so I, well, I can't remember for 800. It's like 211 or 12 or something like that. 212, yep. Um, yeah. Um, and again, that's like 
over, that's probably 15 years ago. <laughs> Um, the 1500, I think was 430, which again is a very, very long time ago. Um, 3000, I think is about 944 ish. Um, 5000 is 1644. 43. You ripped yourself off a second. Oh no. Uh, 10,000 is 3356. Uh, and then half marathon is 114. 47, I think. Yep. And then, yeah. Marathon. We'll find out. Yeah. Marathon. marathon. We'll let you know in three days' time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very good. So, and even I read somewhere that you dabbled in a bit of triathlon when you were kind of coming back through the fun run scene as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I was having a bit of trouble with getting injured. So, I thought I would give cross training a go. Uh, and then, obviously, that led to competing. Um, I yeah I sort of got a bit stuck into the half Ironman distance events um, and I I did a couple and I qualified for the world age group championships um, and so I was sort of joined a triathlon group and was training really hard for to go to the world champs and then I got my first um, bone stress reaction <laughs> uh, like. A, I think it was about four weeks out from the event, so I couldn't go, and I was really, really disappointed by that. Um, and uh, like I realised that the commitment, the time commitment for triathlon is just, I just couldn't maintain it when I was going to go back into clinical medicine. Um, plus, I realised I didn't actually like swimming and bike riding that much. I really just liked the running side of things, so I thought I would just stick with running because clearly it wasn't going to stop me getting injured doing triathlon. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, it's um, it's a bit of a trend already, just kind of 15 minutes into our conversation, how you've kind of fallen in and out of love with running as you've gone by. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it's kind of, you always come back to that. Do you think it's having some of that time off after high school and then dabbling with the triathlon, um, do you think that's kind of been good for your, you know, your longevity now we're talking about? You know, you've got a, you've got through the medicine degree, and you're about to line up for your first marathon. Do you think you would have been here if you kind of pushed on through those years? Oh, it's it's really hard to say. Um, yeah, sometimes I think that if I hadn't have taken time away from running, that I'd be a better runner now because it's sort of so hard to get your fitness back after you do take a break from sort of high level competition. Um, but yeah, on the other side, I might have completely fallen out of love and just quit completely. Although I don't, I honestly don't think I ever would quit completely because I do love running. <laughs> so I do don't know. It's hard to say. Do you find it complements the study and kind of the high pressure job, what like really well as well, like getting out of that situation and being able to get your heart rate up and the fresh air and kind of just switch off for a while? Yeah, I, I do and I don't. Like I, I definitely think that running is as a is an excellent stress release and I love nothing more than coming home after a stressful day and going out for a run but I also think that um I find it really hard to put in good quality training sessions when I'm working because I'm just physically and mentally exhausted from work um and so I, I suppose the last couple of years after I went started working and obviously that, that's a step up from being a student um, I really struggled to to train properly um, and like my times and things I wasn't competing as well as I would hope to um, and I think it's just because I 
even though I'm, tr- I'm getting out there and doing the running, I'm just, I can't do as much and I can't do it as well as I would if I was more rested. Um, and so I suppose yeah, yeah, the last six months where I haven't been working full time, I've been able to put in much, much more quality training yeah. during that time. So yeah, see how it goes when I go back to full time work. <laughs> it's funny because some people um, often say that I've heard people complain about how hard it is to train for running and do, especially the marathon work when you're at university and after being in the full time work for a while, it's kind of, you don't know how hard it is unless you start actually, uni's almost set up, especially if you're in a cruiser uni career to um be perfect to train for marathon work oh absolutely (laughs) you don't realize how good you've got it though yeah so was that why you had made that decision to uh, back off work a bit leading into the marathon or did it just kind of happen like that with a work contract or what was the thinking behind that oh that was all uh it's a bit more complicated than just taking time off to focus on the marathon um and, and that's all from a like a uh, work point of view, um, I'm, I was I was starting my paediatric training program um, last year, and I decided that I didn't want to continue in that area, and I was going to take um, I was going to go into general practice, which I've applied to do the next year. But I was sort of in a very negative headspace. I didn't want to make any major life decisions the way that I was feeling at the time. So I thought I'm just going to take some time off and just think about it and. Uh, yeah, just as, do some local work and just relax for a little bit, um, and then yeah, make make the decision with a bit of a clearer head. Um, but it just worked out well that I could do Gold Coast Marathon after that period of time off. Yeah, and was that part of the decision as well? When you kind of took some time off to think about work, you also looked at what marathon you could possibly run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, this Gold Coast is always one that I wanted to do because my sister lives up here, so it's always a good excuse to come up and visit her. And um, so I love trying to do the races up here. But yeah, definitely it fitted really well with the timing. So. And you've ran up there in the other events in past years? Yeah, I've done the half marathon a few years back. And that's actually when I did my PB. Uh, and I did the 10, done the 10 maybe once or twice years prior to that as well so yeah, yeah. yeah. you know Such how good, good event they put on yeah perfect weather and yeah nice flat course yeah not worried about the heat at all uh well uh no not really um that is the only plus i think of having been in hawaii for the past 10 days because it was much obviously much hotter there so i've been doing a, a bit of heat acclimatization yeah, yeah that's good and you'd have to be feeling pretty yeah. relaxed and um stress-free at the moment too wouldn't you coming back from hawaii yeah yeah yep um yeah, I do like to get out and do a bit of hiking when I'm on holiday. So I was a bit careful not to do too much and make myself tired. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, pretty relaxed. Yeah, because it's kind of taper week as well. Like it's not like you need to be doing too much running. It's um, it'd be strange being on holiday and also kicking back the kilometres as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was either going to be just after. I did just after the marathon go on holidays but then it didn't work out with work so I was like the next best best option is while you're trying to taper just before so (laughs) I'd be a sucker for like the hotel buffets and stuff that's what would get me I'd come back with like three extra kilos (laughs) and be trying to run a marathon yeah (laughs) I uh, yeah I was traveling with a friend who is actually um has a plant-based diet vegan so we were pretty careful with what we were eating good person to travel with I reckon yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, you'd, you'd yeah. feel guilty hooking into too many um, bad food if uh, yeah she was there with you. 
Exactly. Yep. <laughs> hey, tell, talk us through training. How's it gone for the lead up marathon? Yeah, it's gone well. Um, I so I've, I've been able to do more running than I've ever been able to tolerate in the past, and I'm still injury free, which is I'm very excited about. Um, so in the past, I've sort of never been able to get over sort of 80 kilometers a week without getting injured. Um, and so, yeah, I've been sort of getting up over 100 k's a week, which I know is very, very small k's in the grand scheme of marathon running. But for me, that's the best that I've ever been able to manage. So I'm pretty happy with that. Um, yeah, so long runs have been feeling really good. I've been running longer than I ever have before. So I don't know. We'll see. As with a first marathon, it's always, yeah, lots of things to learn. So yeah. it'll be an interesting experience. <laughs> what do you put that um, – because I was talking to Tali Bird, actually. We were talking about you last week on our long run, which was good, generated. Yeah. It's always good when you got – Tali and I only do our long runs, just the two of us up here. So we often yeah. sometimes struggle for talking content for two and plus hours. So it's um, it was good having yeah. you on the agenda last Sunday. And we are talking about <laughs> – how in the past you've uh, broken down and got some niggling injuries when you increase the kilometres, but what do you put that down to? Well, I, I actually um, went and saw a physiotherapist, Christian Barton, who specialises in sort of – he does biomechanical assessment and he manages sort of hard-to-treat running injuries. Um, and so I went to see him because I was getting recurrent sort of anterior hip pain in the same area where I've had that the stress reaction in the past. Um, like clockwork, I'd run 80Ks a week for more than like two weeks and I would get the same pain and it was just, yeah, it was very, very frustrating. Um, so I went to see him and he uh, tweaked a few things with my running style. Um, and so basically I suppose that was November last year that I saw him. So I've sort of been spent sort of three months, I suppose, learning a new running style. <laughs> um, and, yeah, since then, so far so good. So I think I put it all down to that, to be honest. Um, yeah. He's also sort of been really, yeah, really good with setting um, more strength stuff. So I've been really conscious of trying to get to the gym three times a week and working on all the strength thing, strength stuff to sort of, you know, support everything. But, yeah, I think it's really that change in my style that's, got me through <laughs> that's um especially when you start little athletics when you're four that must be hard to change your style when you've been running a certain way for the last 23 years yeah it was quite difficult but it was it was like magic so when I went to see him I was I had anterior hip pain and every step was painful like I, I couldn't yeah I was in quite a lot of pain when I first saw him uh, and the few things that he tweaked in my style the pain went away immediately, which is extremely good motivation to maintain the changes. <laughs> oh, would have been. So is it just, you know, different arms or using your legs different way? Or what, what are you kind of thinking with this new running technique? What are the things you've altered? So the big things is my foot strike. Um, so it was a heel strike previously, and now I'm, well, I, I'm now a mid-foot strike. I feel like I'm running on my toes, but I'm, if I look at photos of myself, I'm really it's only just midfoot <laughs> um, and just, yeah, focusing on um, tilting my pelvis forward as well so that I get more glute engagement when I'm running, um, which, yeah, that, they're the big things, the only little things, but made such a huge difference. Yeah, right. That's um, interesting stuff, isn't it? The biomechanics of running, it's quite, um, and I guess with a medical background yourself, you'd be probably a bit extra interested in that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 
to be honest, I haven't done that much reading or not extensive reading around it. But yeah, it is it's fascinating. Um, yeah, and certainly if I've got a bit of spare time on my hands, I would like to look into it a bit more. Um, yeah, but, you yeah, might be struggling I'm, with that spare time, though, I reckon, given what's coming up for yeah. in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, um, Tali and I also spoke about that you train and kind of coach yourself. Yeah, I do. Yep. Um, yep. So I do all my running by myself um, and I set all my programs myself, for better or worse. <laughs> yeah, well, it's working um, for you at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So far, so good. Um Obviously, when I was a junior, I had a coach. So, yeah, so from like grade grade seven all the way through to grade 12, I um, ran with Faye Denham down in Tassie and she had a, a great group of sort of track athletes. Um, but then, yeah, so when I moved over to Melbourne for uni, I started running by myself or I wasn't really running that much anyway. Um, and then I just have never really found a group since then and I've had a few experiences where I've gone to try and train with a group and I've just ended up injured so now I'm very wary about about joining a group because I'm, I'm I suppose it's probably because I'm too competitive and I, I tend to push too hard and then I just wind up injured so um plus it's hard with work because um, I keep pretty irregular hours with work so it's always hard to you know come to a certain training time um to meet with a group so it's kind of convenient just to be able to do my own thing yeah, right. So 100% of your week would be by yourself. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Sometimes um, my partner comes to the gym with me, <laughs> maybe once a week, but otherwise, yeah, it's all by myself. Ben, the old Catholic college boy. It's uh, good to get yes. his name in there, yeah. Went to high school together, Ben and yep. I. It's, uh, it's amazing how small the world is. It is a very small world, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess my next question about that would be how do you know and how do you plan your sessions? Like are you reading up on different philosophies for training or where are you getting information from? Yeah, so it's a combination of sort of reading about other training programs, like reading other – just listening to other people talk about their own training and also just my, you know, my experience of what I can and can't do and what I enjoy – um, yeah, it's just yeah, a bit of a combination of all those things. Um, and I suppose in the past, I haven't necessarily set myself a formal training program. Like I've always got a bit of an idea in my head of what I'll do each week, but I won't necessarily have had that written down. Um, but for this marathon, I sort of sat down. It was probably about the five or six months to go mark and I actually wrote out a program for the whole build up to the marathon, um, which which has been, yeah, it's been really good actually, um, but different to how I've done things in the past. Have you, um, when you do a program that far out, have you found a lot of it changed or were you pretty much doing exactly where you thought you were going to be? I actually have stuck to it pretty well. Um, I suppose, yeah, I suppose like a few of the sessions. Often when I, I'll have a session written out, um, but I'll, depending on how I'm feeling that day, like if I'm, if I'm feeling really good, I might tack on a few more reps or whatever. Um, so that sort of thing is not 100% accurate. But it, I've actually kept it pretty well, particularly like things like the build-up of kilometres so that I'm um, careful that I'm not overdoing, overdoing it. Um, I stuck to that pretty well. And I made sure that I had all my like races planned out during that time so like Gold Coast uh, Great Ocean Road half marathon and 
contest and tenon and all those sorts of things so that they sort of fit it in nicely. <laughs> yeah, and they're pretty both successful races for you as well, like second at Great Ocean Road to Virginia, yeah, and then fourth yeah. overall at Launceston 10 in a pretty deep field. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty happy with both of those. Yeah, it's got to be um, – can you share with us any other, like, key sessions that you've done, a bit of confidence or any marathon kind of type work? Uh, um. Uh, I mean, obviously, the long run has is always <laughs> important, yeah. and for do me, like just I've do one a week past, on a Sunday. Yeah, I do. I sort of do a medium long run during the week, but it's really not that long. <laughs> um, yeah, in the past, I've sort of never done more than ninety minute long runs, so we've been sort of really ramping those up. Um, I don't know what else. I like I like doing a bit of uh, like um, like intervals with like floating recoveries in between and um i've been doing heels i've been really careful to try and make sure i'm doing heels every week uh which has been good something that often falls off the wayside when you're not making a real effort to do them because it's hard to find good hills to run up in melbourne <laughs> oh, to try find them in a chukamoama there's literally nothing for oh, about yeah. 30 k's in every direction i feel your yep, pain yep. oh melbourne's all right though you can't be whinging about hills in melbourne no, it's much better where I'm living now, but I used to live in Brighton um, oh, okay, yeah. and it was dead flat. <laughs> Just the wind on Beach Road down there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah. uh, what have you got your long runs out to? Uh, my longest was 36, 36 and a half. Yeah, right. So you're ready to go. You'd have to be pretty confident for Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, I mean, as confident as you can be for your first marathon, I think. <laughs> yeah. Have you got a time picked out or anything or just a kind of goal time or just a process you want to implement on race day or what's your thoughts around the outcome for the race? Yeah, I don't want to um, put too much pressure on myself to run fast. So like my ideally I'd like to be under two hours 40 or around that. But, yeah, I'm not – yeah, so – I've got a I've got a pace in mind that I want to be able to run out, and I've done a few sort of longer threshold sessions at that pace, and it's felt really comfortable. Um, yes, but I don't know. We'll we'll see. I really don't know what to expect after that twenty one point one. Yeah, <laughs> kilometer if, mark. If yeah. I can give you any I'm advice, which um, I've only ran the two of them, but I remember my coach telling me that the halfway mark is the thirty thirty two k mark. Whatever you whatever you do in those first thirty yeah. k, that's only the halfway mark. And um, that last yeah. 12, you're going to have to use as much effort as possible because it's really like around yeah. another half, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and Gold Coast, interesting because you kind of run past the finish line at that exact stage. So mentally, it's a bit of a mind trick as well. Yeah, yeah. You see how, how much further you've got to go. And yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's always interesting talking to people before their first marathon and their thoughts and what drew you, I guess, to the marathon to have a crack at this one? Um, I, I've always wanted to run a marathon, um, but always sort of, yeah, I suppose really the big thing has been having that six months off work is where I feel like I've been able to do the training that I needed to do to get to the start line feeling confident, um, which, uh, yeah, I just don't think I would have, uh, with full-time work, it would have been quite challenging. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I suppose that's probably the, the big one that really made me sign on the dotted line. And But 
bite down and actually do it. <laughs> yeah. And do you think um, in the future going forward that, I guess it's a hard question because you don't know what's going to happen in the first one yet, but do you think you can become maybe a marathoner after this first race? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the hope, but I'm not going to, yeah, commit to anything until I see how it goes. I might, you know, I might hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't get anything, um, no evidence out there on the internet saying you're going to become a marathoner to uh, two days out before the race. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll see. <laughs> hey, uh, one thing I'm always interested in because it's something I haven't figured out myself. But what's your nutrition plan for race day? Uh well, yeah. Again, very little experience in this area. <laughs> so yeah, I've got some gels that I've been using in training, um, and then I've got I'm going to intersperse those with uh, some just like Powerade, mixed up slightly more concentrated than as per the packet, um, yeah, and see how that goes. I haven't – yeah, I suppose you never really can imitate race day in training, so it's always going to be a little bit of see how it goes on the day and hope everything just holds up. Yeah. And how often are you planning to take the gels? Probably every t- – at the 10K mark, every 10K is, yeah. Yeah. And I'll have at the 5K mark – I'll have the Powerade. Yeah. Just because ideally I think I would have had it a bit less often, but that's where the where they've got the um, refreshment tables. So it's just to fit in with what they've got um, on the course. Yeah, I was just reading that myself. I, um, I'm going up to pace the, the lead females. They're going through at 226 pace and I was – did you get that massive yeah. email talking about like all drink drop-offs and this and that and it's just what table yeah. your drinks are going to – I feel like I'm going to go back to uni just to understand what I'm actually doing this weekend. It's um, it's pretty, yeah. pretty technical <laughs> stuff. I'm emailing Brad Croker, who's the other pacer, and trying to figure out where we've got to get everything to. But it's um, – yeah. yeah, even, you know, the drinks being in certain numbers on the certain drink table and, um, yeah, it's very yeah. well organised. It's exceptionally um, – well structured and everything's put in place to make sure you perform your best up there yeah absolutely yep um well i've got a whole stack of other questions here as well but one of the things i want to i guess yeah the doctor world's so different from the school teaching world and um i wonder could you just maybe talk us through what a day in the life looks like when you're practicing uh yeah sure so uh, so obviously, as I said, I'm just a junior. So my, I'm a what we call a hospital medical officer or a resident. They're all sort of synonymous. Um, and so you usually start your day either like sort of seven thirty, eight o'clock, um, depending on what rotation you're doing. Uh, you usually start the day with a ward round, um, which can take anywhere between an hour and five hours depending on what rotation you're doing um and is that just checking up on the patients within that ward yeah so you have you'll have um the patients that you're looking after and so you go around with your your whole team um and check up on all the patients so you go around with your with your consultant and a registrar and then one or two residents and basically that round um you generate all of the jobs that the residents need to do during the day um and so you spend the rest of your time doing all those jobs and you know that can vary from I don't know just boring paperwork type stuff writing scripts to doing procedures um organizing imaging it's sort of it really it's really variable um and 
can be very, very busy <laughs> at times. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so then that usually takes up the rest of your day and you finish up with paperwork in the evenings. Um, obviously, there's endless discharge summaries that need to be done by the junior staff. <laughs> yeah, you get flicked all um, those. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's bread and butter work for a junior doctor. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a little bit different if you're doing emergency uh, medicine. That's you kind of operate a bit more like everybody else, um, as, as in you just see patients and work them up and diagnose them or, or whatever, treat them, send them home or admit them. Um, and yeah, I guess that yeah, that can be a little bit different. Um, but yeah, generally the days are pretty, pretty long, pretty tiring, and can be at times reasonably stressful, yeah. depending on rotation you're doing <laughs> uh, and then usually sort of uh, once a week you'll do a long shift where you work 8 8 till 10 p.m 8 a.m till 10 p.m yeah um, do you have like yeah. a two-hour break or anything in the middle or is that pretty much the whole way through no, no that's you're just there the whole day <laughs> well you don't get any breaks like is it just get a break eat when you can sometimes you will get a break um it just depends on how busy it is sometimes you won't get a break it's not unheard of to work those sort of hours without getting a break is that safe having doctors like on 14 hour shifts though and pretty fatigued and not giving them a break probably not but <laughs> but yeah, they say it's intense. good for us it's good for hard <laughs> jump a bit so when you have yeah. to do 16 hour days you're right yeah exactly yeah yeah so yeah there was a period last year where i was working and you worked you do you do your you're obviously eight till five thirty or six or whatever every day, and then one day during the week you'd do eight till ten, and then you'd work um, one weekend sort of every four weeks, and the weekends you work eight till ten Saturday and Sunday, Man. and then you work the whole following week as well. <laughs> and is that so? Yeah, you'd get home at ten, you unwind, and then you'd be back up at six to kind of get to work by eightish kind of thing, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that. And is that so those, due to like a lack of people to be able to do the job like it's just a kind of they need you guys to do that because there's no one else who can come in and do it yeah 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 I suppose it is um all the different hospitals that you work at all the different health services they sort of structure their rostering slightly differently that's a pretty common setup though um yeah and I suppose it's, it's rather than employing somebody to come in and sort of do the after hours cover they just make the in in-house staff do it, which is why you end up doing those late shifts once a week to make sure that there's somebody in the hospital after everyone's gone home before the night person comes on. Yeah, um, right. So when you start being a GP, will that be um, a bit more cruisier? Like will that be the kind of nine to five kind of structure if there is one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it will be. Um, no more night shifts. Shouldn't be much after hours work, um, and really you can sort of dictate your hours a bit more if you want to go part time. You can, yeah, it's going to be hopefully ah. <laughs> much more um, work life balance friendly. <laughs> yeah, I run with a couple of GPs up here in um in Atchukamoama who are kind of good triathletes, and they seem they seem pretty level headed and not too stressed at times, which is um yeah that's a good yeah. indicator, I guess. Yeah, if uh, you can use that yeah. as a bit of evidence for what's to come yeah. later on. <laughs> Um, what were you doing then to kind of relieve that stress? Like other than the running stuff, which we already spoke about, but did you have any other kind of coping mechanisms in place to be able to get yourself through that? Oh, not really. Running was pretty much it, which is a bit of a bad habit, I suppose, because you obviously 
when you get injured, it means you <laughs> can't run anymore. Um, yeah, no, mostly running. I don't, yeah, I don't really have any other major hobbies because obviously when you're also trying to study at the same time and I just don't have time to yeah. do anything else. <laughs> yeah, you can't meditate for 10 minutes because you're way too busy for it. Um... Yeah, I mean, I should. I'm shocking. I always say I should take up yoga or something, but I just, yeah, I have not have not made time for it. <laughs> oh, I'm the same. That was my massive goal for the year to meditate more. And I joined up and paid for a subscription online and kind of, I thought if I yep. paid for it, I'd use it, but it's just, start, I can feel it starting to drop off now. It kind of went from every single day routine and then um, twice yep. a week. And I don't think I've done it for two weeks now, but it may be saying that now will make me get back into it. Cause I think it's so good yep. for you. And even like the neuroscience behind, you know, rewiring your brain and, being able to relax and look at your thoughts and especially kind of with running as well like um you know kind of that sports psychology around it as well is kind of an interesting field do you know much or have you read up much about that side of things how you can use your kind of medicine to help you in the in the running i suppose yeah to be honest i haven't really yeah read read much around meditation for running um I'm sure that it would, yeah, I'm sure there's lots of stuff, great stuff out there, but I haven't, yeah, I haven't really looked into it myself. Um, probably should. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm probably more referring to kind of that mindset and, you know, the positive thoughts when you're in a race and, and all that kind of stuff. It's um, it's a conversation that Tali and I have been having here and there, kind of um, that kind of sports psychology kind of um, field that I think is just going to get bigger and bigger for elite athletes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I can remember listening to... A podcast I can't even remember what it was but it was with um Maka the uh Ironman triathlete and he he, um yeah had had a sports psychologist um joining him for training sessions and she was sort of I think she was maybe on the on the bike with him during a training session and was asking him to sort of tell her what he was thinking as, as the session progressed and he was horrified by how negative his thoughts became as he was getting more and more stressed from the session yeah um it was um good to I, sort of think about that. i know the podcast Sorry? it was um it was brad beer and lisa white waitman i remember listening to that same podcast episode and they were he was talking to that about her i think it was and yeah it was that same um same yeah. story how just how negative he was yeah. and um and i think yeah. sometimes you know as well when you're racing like I, yeah, occasionally it happens as well. Oh, you know, in every kind of stage of a race, it often pops into your head that you're not doing well enough and you look at your watch and it's giving yeah. you bad information that you don't want to see and then you kind of try and yeah. make excuses and find reasons. And, yeah, it's the kind of the power of the mind, I think, is uh, pretty important in, in definitely yeah. elite sport and for everyone. Everyone's got a brain's going through the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's funny actually. Even just uh, last weekend, or whenever it was a couple of weekends ago, when we did Launceston Ten, I um, I had a goal time in mind, and I went through the five k mark, and I knew I was way off, and I was like, I just really fell kind of in a heap for <laughs> for a bit, and I just had yeah, it was, I had to be very mindful to not let that that number <laughs> ruin the whole race for me, and managed to sort of pull myself together for the last few k's <laughs> yeah and you finished super strong didn't you i think tali said you went past her over a couple k to go was that correct oh uh, yeah i think it was only about a k to go yeah just got her um yeah because yeah, she was running very strongly yeah i think she went out pretty fast as well so it would have been um yeah interesting to hear what her thoughts were as well if you went out um at that 5k split and you had those thoughts and how how she was thinking when she yeah. went through a bit quicker yeah yeah 
Yeah, it would have been interesting. Um, have you ever thought about like not racing with a watch on? It's a conversation we've been having with a few of the other boys on the other podcast about our lead into Berlin's about how that watch data can just influence how you think and how then that influences how you feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't done it in a very long time, um, but I do remember I ran uh, run Melbourne um, half marathon. This probably was, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. You won, it. You won it as well, though, didn't you? Yeah. Very, yeah. very modest. Yeah, I ran at- this race, yeah. um i was just running with a stopwatch it wasn't a gps watch or anything but i i misstarted it at the start and then i realized it wasn't running and then i started it after like i don't know two k's or something like that um and so basically i just ignored the watch the whole race um and i actually ran yeah so the only information that i got about my pace was the report the announcer sorry um saying my split at the 10k mark Um, but otherwise I didn't have any information about my pace for the whole race. And I ended up running a PB and was, I felt like felt really comfortable and really strong throughout the race, which I don't know. I don't know how much of that is actually to do with not having the, the numbers there. Um, probably also I didn't have, I probably didn't have goal time for the race, which helps as well. But yeah, since then I don't think I've raced without a watch, so Probably should try it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not this weekend because you might go through a bit faster and then it could, be, uh, could no. be bad news for you in the second half. Maybe just keep it under control this weekend and then try that um, no watch trick. Hey, as a doctor, and um, I always kind of have conversations with people about health and well-being and stuff, but I'm interested in your thoughts with you know Australia's rising obesity rates and kind of type 2 diabetes and all this rubbish and all this processed food and stuff. Do you see oh, kind of that at your end? Like, is the world in a bad place? Yeah. So, I Big suppose question. I'll is probably the world be in a bad more. Place? Yeah, <laughs> I think I'll be yeah more qualified to answer that when I get into GP land, um, because when you're in hospitals, you, you see a lot of old people basically, um, and so you know they're all. If you're 80 years old, it doesn't matter you know you've you've done pretty well to get to 80 and at that point it's not that you're obese or um that you've been had an unhealthy lifestyle that you're in hospital it's just that you're elderly but yeah on the flip side I suppose having said that when you're in ED you do see a lot of overweight and obese people and also a lot of people still smoking I think that's almost I find that so shocking in this day and age how many people still smoke um and that contributes to are just a myriad of different health problems. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know how we, I don't know how we fix the problem. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, certainly, it does contribute to the the, the state of the nation's health. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think once, once I'm yeah in GP land and a bit more sort of the, the primary primary care level, you can actually sort of influence people's decisions a bit more. Um, when you're in hospitals, it's such a, you know, you see people for such a short period of time, you don't really have that ongoing relationship to influence people's life decisions. Yeah, and I um, yeah. yeah, I guess we'll probably get you on for a part two in six months' time and we'll address that. Hey, it'd be a good idea to kind of just see how you're tracking um, in the GP land. I know it's just, you know, when I go in to get my bloods done just to kind of track a few scores, it's always... um. 
you almost feel a bit unhealthy, like just sitting in the waiting room to get your blood test done and you're looking around and it's just like, yeah, sometimes when you spend a lot of time with healthy people and people who are exercising regularly and, you know, really looking after their diet, you're probably stuck in a bit of a dome and you probably think a lot of the world operates that same way, but it's not until you kind of spend time in these medical practices and, you know, Medicare and the healthcare system and things like that, do you realise that a lot of people are living completely different lives and it's... um the majority of it's not good stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's very, very true. Um, yeah, because you do sort of tend to have that confirmation bias where you, you only, you're friends with people that have similar um, values and lifestyles to yourself. Um, and yeah, you don't realise that there's a lot of people out there who are not living <laughs> the way they probably should. <laughs> yeah, but I guess it's pretty um, rewarding. Actually, oh, sorry. Oh, no, that's right. You go. No, no, you go because you were about to say something awesome, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> I've, uh, I've been working um, over the last six months in a um, uh, just a health assessment clinic um, for like, pre-employment and that sees a very uh, multicultural group of um, the population, lots of immigrant groups uh, and very, very low socioeconomic. Um, and, they, yeah, it's been really interesting to sort of see the health standards amongst that sort of group compared to everybody that I know and everybody that I would have ever, you know, met and been to school with. Um, but it was very, very interesting. I one day had a gentleman who came through and he said to me, he's like, oh, you look like a runner. And I was like, yes. And he was like, oh, I used to be, I used to be a runner. And he's telling me his times and he ran a, I think it was a 28 minute 10K and like a 67 half marathon. Wow. I was like, well, you're not you're not just a runner. You're like very good. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's overweight and <laughs> middle-aged. But, yeah, it was very, very interesting. He's Kenyan, so. <laughs> oh, okay. That's described it then, I reckon, yeah. Kenyan, yeah. He's got, yeah. He's got that high altitude and the um, Collegian tribe there. He's, uh, he's all sorted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, um, it must be pretty rewarding, though, being involved in kind of the medical field and knowing that you're going to work every day making a direct difference to people, people's lives. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously there are days where you don't feel like you've really, you know, helped anyone that much and you've just done a lot of paperwork. But, yeah, there's certainly days where you feel like you've really made a difference and, um, yeah, if even if it's just, you know, listening to somebody when they're going through a tough time and that makes their experience a little bit easier. But, yeah, certainly, yeah, there's lots of opportunities to actually, yeah, quite positively impact on people's experiences yeah do you find it difficult to switch off Karina at times like you know I know as a school teacher you might wake up at two o'clock and in the morning and might be worrying about some little kid and he how he's struggling with maths but it's all kind of little um probably little dramas compared to some of the things that you'd be seeing so how do you I guess cope with that having that balance in your life to be able to switch from doctor to Karina Fife outside of work hours yeah um I suppose part of it is just experience. I really I found that quite difficult when I first started working um, on things like if you if I'd forgotten to do something, like it would really cause me a lot of stress later on in the evening. Like what if what if something terrible happens because I forgot to do something? Um, but yeah, with the time you sort of realise that there's always somebody else in the hospital. Bad things aren't going to happen because you're not there. <laughs> um, I suppose. Yeah, that's why I've always loved running after work or going to the gym or whatever. 
I just find that that's the best thing to clear your mind and sort of separate separate the workday from from um and yeah I suppose last start of last year I did a neurosurgery rotation um a pediatric neurosurgery rotation uh, and I saw some really really awful awful things um during that rotation uh, and I, I don't know how the people that do that for the you know their, their entire lives I don't know how they cope with it but they're a very special special group of people but um yeah I suppose it was very valuable for me to come home and be able to talk to my partner Ben who's also a doctor about what I'd seen and sort of debrief <laughs> at the end of the day because um, otherwise yeah it would be yeah hard to sort of separate the two yeah and- that's important you can have those conversations and that he can like he's a doctor as well so he can understand the conversations you're having as well yeah yeah I think we're really lucky that we can yeah have those conversations I, I think lots of people listen to us chat and just think what the hell are they talking about but <laughs> but for us it's yeah really valuable <laughs> yeah awesome hey just back on the running thing i've only got a few more minutes with you but um hoping just to get a few more questions out of you representing australia on the two occasions at the oceanic uh, world cross country champ or not the world the oceanic cross country champs and the world cross country yeah. university games that must have been a pretty proud moment yeah absolutely um obviously I'm sure a lot of people dream of wearing the green and gold, um, even, you know, at whatever level. Um, yeah, so I was, yeah, really stoked to be selected for that World Cross Country um, Uni Games team. Um, it was in Uganda, uh, which is actually where they had the world, the proper World Cross this year. Um, and it was, it's hot and it's got a bit of elevation. And it was a very tough race. I found that very, very difficult, but yeah, I was really happy um, with how I performed in the end. The Oceania um, Cross Country Champs was a bit of a surprise, actually, because at the time I really didn't have any form. <laughs> uh, I hadn't been running that well, and I was very, very sort of not really sure why they selected me, but but they did, and obviously you don't turn up, turn down an <laughs> opportunity to represent the country. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, so went and yeah did my best, um, which is probably not my you know all time best, but certainly yeah I was again pretty happy with that race and managed to come away with a bronze um, on that day, which was nice. Pretty impressive, not doing your best and still getting a bronze medal. Karina, we might finish off. I always ask people at the end of the podcast if they've got a bit of a mantra or a quote or a, quote or a philosophy or something that they kind of live by. So have you got anything? Yeah, so I suppose I've got two. One of them is a bit of a joke. <laughs> um, but I can always remember when I was with my training group when I was a junior one of the senior guys in our group, he always used to, we used to do a swimming session once a week and he always, you'd say, um, just, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just like in Finding Nemo. So then I always think of just keep running, just keep running. <laughs> That's always a bit of a joke, but otherwise I, I uh, earn your rest, which is another thing I always think about. I was just, yeah, put in the hard yards and then you can enjoy putting your feet up later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty good one, isn't it? Like, um, I guess it's probably the role rehearsal of what you've just done now, kind of um, having the rest before the race, but it's uh, it's, yeah. good, it's good to be able to, I think in the mind it's just good too to have your rest knowing that you've you've done well at trying to achieve a goal and you've put everything out there and then you're not on edge while you are resting, thinking that you should be trying to, trying to achieve something at the same time. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 
That's good. Well, all the best for Sunday. I'm uh, looking forward to catching you out there and seeing you, seeing you smash it at the finish line there. And it'll be, um, yeah, all the best and uh, run your best. And, yeah, I'm really excited. It's going to be um, a good day, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you. Hope you guys have a good day out there as well. Um, yeah, hopefully yeah, we get around to right. We should be right. I'll see you in yep. a few. Um, there's a few yep. U-turns that um, I think we turn around at 15K, so we'll see you go in the opposite direction, which would be good to kind of give you a bit of a thumbs up and a smile and go from there. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be excellent. And yeah. the crowd's always good up there, so there'll be plenty of people to cheer you on. And, um, yeah, good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Corinne. You much. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you on the weekend. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it, brought some kind of value to your life today. And um, yeah, as I said in the introduction, she was so easy to talk to, Karina, and I wish her the best of luck this weekend. Please reach out to her if you get the opportunity and say you heard her on the podcast and um, wish her luck also in the marathon game. Thanks for tuning in for another week. Have a good one, and I'll um, talk to you again next week with another show. Cheers, guys.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 